Surgery. Player one, press start to play. Okay, so episode number two this week, we are talking about Wizards and Warriors, uh, mm-hmm. developed by Rare, published by Acclaim here in the U.S., Jaleco in Japan. Uh, one of the rare games that was actually released in the U.S. before Japan got their release. One of the um, one of the rare games. Yeah, see, I I, 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 I hoped you caught that, but <laughs> of course. Uh, NES release was in December of 1987, and the Famicom got their release July of '88. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, not too often that you hear that, you know, we did it first and then they localized it afterwards. But uh, yeah, you know, actually, I'm I never I guess because the title is is so different. The uh, the Japanese title does, is not Wizards and Warriors at all. It's like uh, the Legend of Elrond or something like that is what it kind of translates to. But mm-hmm. I actually didn't know it was like, even released in Japan until uh, just recently. There was a, a fan sub of Game Center CX with uh, Wizards and Warriors. And it was uh, Arena playing through the Japanese version. So I had no idea it actually came out in Japan. Yeah, and it I don't think it did terribly well over there. I don't have numbers to back that up. But yeah. of this franchise, of which there were four games total, if you include mm. the Game Boy one, this was the only one that ever got um, taken over to Japan. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, don't think it translated too well for their market. But No, it's... Um, I don't know. I mean... I guess it, you could say that it probably came out maybe a little too late overseas, um, considering that you know by 1988 a lot more games were coming out and uh, you know had had much better I don't know graphics and gameplay I guess I'm not sure but um, just kind of interesting that there was a, a delay in in releasing it because it's it's not like that they put any Japanese text into it it was all in English right so right. Yeah, they they changed some things, which I took some notes of the differences here, because Mm -hmm. uh, prior to doing this episode, I had not played the Famicom version at all. Me uh, neither. Decided to do some homework and played through it a couple of times just to make sure that I could note some differences. I I got a decent little list of them, so we'll get there. Mm -hmm. But um, before we do, I would say, what are your memories of playing Wizards and Warriors as a kid? I can remember going to uh, my friend Quentin's house probably sometime in like early 88 or so. And I remember him having Wizards and Warriors. And I don't know, I, I still remember like we were playing Wizards and Warriors and, you know, Quentin's brother was playing um, some PC RPGs and stuff like that. And we were just, um, I was really, I don't think we made it past the um, second level. I think we did mostly the forest and, and you know, the tree level before I had to leave. But um, I just remember the music uh, really sticking with me like it was just it had this you know really good melody and it was just really just kind of a driving uh, theme I guess to it as far as that first level music and I just I, I enjoyed the uh, the platforming gameplay at the time mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the music will get stuck in your head, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's so good. It's so yeah, good. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, for me, I think that this was one that uh, I came to the franchise actually with Iron Sword, Wizards and Warriors okay. 2. Mm-hmm. And because we got, let's see, I got my NES in 89. So by this point, the original Wizards and Warriors was two years late. Like it was long gone. You weren't finding copies of it in the store really anymore. Yeah. Uh, but it was right in the middle of the heyday of Iron Sword. Mm-hmm. And um, I fell in love with that game and wanted to kind of retroactively go back to the first one just to you know fill in the holes of some of the origin and all that. Okay. And it, it was harder to find a copy of it, obviously. And I certainly couldn't purchase it. And I was, it was probably mid to late 90s before I actually owned a cartridge of the game oh, wow. um, but i you know rented the hell out of it you know mm. as a kid and uh borrowed it from friends even i think but um so like by the by the time i got a copy that was my own it was kind of just for you know it, i guess just for completionist sake but i mean i had already been very familiar with the game played through it several times so yeah. but yeah it was it was a step back because iron sword was the one that i knew and this was just kind of filling mm. it in okay and kind of the opposite, I guess, because I, I remember, you know, playing the first one a little bit and then I rented it a couple of times, but um, I'd always get stuck at a certain part. I'd get about four or five levels in and I would just kind of give up. And, I, you know, by the time the sequel came out and then uh, the third one, then by that time, um, I'd already moved on to the Super Nintendo. And so I just kind of uh, kind of passed up both of the sequels. Yeah. We, I mean, obviously, we're not talking about those right now, but it's like they're they're, they're one of those it's one of those franchises that works so well for the nostalgia, at least for me, because I loved all of those so much as a kid mm-hmm. and going back as an adult and playing two and three, uh, they're pretty flawed games. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I think but, I always uh, had the stigma that um, acclaimed games were, were kind of notoriously, they could be crappy. And I think that's why, I mean, the first one I consider that, I mean, looking back now, it's obviously it's a rare developed game and it, it feels like that but um at the time i think acclaim games just sort of had a stigma with me of being you know not the greatest quality like they might be rentals but you know do i really want to waste my three dollars on on a acclaim game to rent when i know it's probably not going to be super great so yeah. that's kind of why i probably passed up the sequels but. yeah all right so now that you've discovered this how how often do you do a playthrough of wizards and warriors uh well you know actually like i was saying i I never really beat it because um, I remember when I would rent it as a kid, I'd get to, I don't know if it would have been the blue cave or maybe slightly after, but there's one jump. And I think we talked about this before where mm-hmm. I think you have to have the speed potion and you have to get over this, um, this incline. Yeah. It, I just remember at the time, you know, not really figuring out that I needed a speed potion and just kind of giving up. Yeah. That, that part's in the ice cave and it's, it is tricky and tough and there's, I've gotten lucky a couple of times and it is possible to make the jump without the potion, but mm. it's like so meticulously precise that it's almost impossible. Yeah. Um, it is the, the blue potion that lets you, you know, make that jump is positioned very strategically. Like it's, it's in a place that's just far enough away that once you, you have to grab it while running mm. and make, make the jumps perfectly to get over there. And it, you basically land right as it's wearing off. But yeah, it's, yeah, I never actually knew that because, uh, and maybe I just didn't map it out or anything, but I was always trying to just, um, just hit regular enemies until I spawned a blue potion. Uh-huh. 
And so that was the point that I was kind of like, well, this is kind of crappy. Like you have to just wait for a potion to appear, but yeah, there's one other spot in the lava cave, uh, right below the, um, the red key and the battle axe of Agor that it's a similar kind of thing. Like you can, if you time the jump just right, you can make it. Mm -hmm. Uh, otherwise, yeah, as a kid, I just saw, you know, stood there and fought until I got a pink potion and then it's like, Oh, now I can get there. But yeah, it's a very tedious thing. Um, yeah that spot in the lava cave you have to do because you must get the red key to beat the level. Mm. And the thing, the thing in the ice cave, though, is that um, all it leads to is the Feather of Featherfall, which you don't actually need. Like, it's very, very useful, but you mm. could just skip right past it. There's nothing essential beyond there. But uh, Yeah. Well, I, I found that the Feather kind of came in handy on the, the castle wall. Uh, especially oh, yeah. If you it's, you know, it's a little bit easier, but... Um, yeah, it's one of those things where, like, all of the extra items in this game, like, none of them are essential or necessary, but there are definitely some that are, uh, you know, pretty damn helpful and make mm -hmm. the game significantly well, yeah, easier. I always, but... seem to, I always forget about the axe for some reason. Like, I never get the axe. Uh, okay. I'm always the, the dagger and um, sometimes the wand, but I don't know. Yeah, one, it's of, one interesting of the ones... Freedom to kind of play around with the different items and choose how you want to um, how you want to proceed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the items that I think is the most funny is, as a kid, I never understood this one, and that's the horn. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. There's only, I think it's only in one treasure chest. Like, most of these items can actually be found in two different stages. Mm -hmm. um, there's a couple that there's only one copy of it in the game, and I think there's only one copy of the horn, and it's right when you first come into the lava pit. Mm -hmm. um, but it's one of those where, if you look in the instruction manual for the NES version, the horn's not listed in the items. Um, huh. all, all of the Figured. other items are with a tiny little description of what they do. The horn's not there. So as a kid, the first time I found this horn, I'm just like, what the hell does this do? And I could never figure it out. And this was, you know, before the internet, before Googling, where you could figure it out right, right oh, on yeah. the spot. Yeah, you had to wait for your Nintendo power to show up, you know. Yeah, you and it wasn't in there. It wasn't in there either. No. So like this was just this enigma item that I spent decades not knowing what the horn in Wizards and Warriors did, right. um, and I it was finally like a year ago that I was like, I want to know what that thing finally does. So I looked it up, and mm -hmm. what it does is you can use it to um, if there's any secret doors uh, on the screen when you use it, they'll show up. Okay, yeah, but that seems like not, the type of thing that um, you know, like you'd be on the playground or at school and, and people will be talking about the game and you could just make up a bunch of uh, random stuff about the horn, you know, yep. <laughs> you know, you could say, Oh, it gives you 51 ups or you have to, you know, jump into this, you know, certain part and play. Oh, if you use it on, if you use it on the spider, it'll kill him right away. Right. <laughs> <laughs> then you come back to school the next day, pissed off because the spider killed you because yeah. you tried to blow yeah. a horn in his face. Add a bit of mystery to it. <laughs> but you know, what's interesting, though, is is revisiting this game. Um, like I said, I haven't played it for a while, and we started playing it for the show, and um, this is the first time that I've actually played all the way through and finished the game. Um, I did that a couple of times, and I think on retrospect, um, I really can appreciate uh, the, the platforming aspects of this game because it's very, uh, it's very precise as far as the jumps that you have to make, and uh, it's not so much about the enemies, really, but it's just more of uh, a platforming challenge. And I think it really, I think it holds up in, in that respect and that it's challenging in that, uh, yeah, you still have to find the keys and stuff like that. But I mean, you have to be very uh, technical in the way that you play the game. Right. 
Yeah, and I've had or I had friends, you know, growing up that just hated this game and just, you know, ranted on how difficult it was. And it's mostly because they lacked that um precision or the patience to do, mm-hmm. you know, all of those kind of jumps. You know, the same th- same kind of people who would bitch and moan in Castlevania when you were halfway across the jump and you'd get hit and you'd fall oh, yeah. into a pit. Like um it's the same kind of thing. Like if you don't have that really good hand eye coordination and the patience, because I tell you what, there's gonna be, you know, a couple dozen times every time you play that you're going to be climbing up the tower or climbing up the forest and you fall and you've got to do it all over again. It happens right. yeah. a lot. <laughs> exactly. But one thing I, I could appreciate though, is you don't have to keep pressing the a button to jump. You can just hold the a button. Yeah. Which the, uh, it makes the vertical jumping um, a lot more enjoyable. I think. Yeah. You're almost like a pogo stick at that point. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that you stick the sword up and can just kill anything as you're jumping, I think that's a really good mechanic because you don't have to focus on you know swinging the sword kind of thing you just jump up and and stab things till they're dead Mm -hmm. yeah and actually i find that the skewering technique as i call it is actually a lot more effective at killing most enemies than actually trying Uh to you know swing the sword at them yeah the the horizontal sword attack is kind of worthless until you get the the dagger or the axe i mean right right yeah, that's that's kind of funny. And when you get to Iron Sword, like that was another funny one because that one encourages that pogo jumping because like your first jump is actually kind of shallow, mm-hmm. but then if you hold down the jump button, then when you start the second jump, like each one, you know, jumps two and on are actually much higher. So okay. huh. it's kind of a weird thing, but yeah, yeah. The, this this game is kind of weird because it. And I guess this is the one kind of critique I have of it is that I feel like it doesn't fully know what kind of game it wants to be. Sure. Um, on the one hand, yes, it's got this really strong platformer aspect. Um, and just looking at it from that perspective, it's like it can be really fun. It can be challenging all on its own. And mm-hmm. it's a great, great game in that regard. Then there's the you know combat fighting monsters type game. Mm-hmm. And in that regard, like there's a lot going on because there's monsters flying at you from every direction. Um, You know, there's lots of cool weapons to get power ups. So it's that kind of game too. But I just don't feel like the two mix very well, or they, they feel like they belong in two separate games, but, and and part of the reason these game as well, because the layouts of the levels are so confusing almost in that you really have to either map them out or, um, you know, you really have to explore a lot of the areas to be able to get the keys that you need. Like you might find the red key and then the red door is all the way on the other side of the screen. And then that leads to, you know, another key. And uh, so there's a lot of uh, not really nonlinearity, but I guess there's a lot of exploration that uh, that the game makes you do in order to I mean, it's not just, you know, go from left to right. I mean, you really have to tear apart each level to, uh, well, to get and considering the whole considering the goal of each stage is to get enough gems to get through the door, mm-hmm. you're not going to do that if you just go straight to the end. Like, even if you do find all the keys, you have to backtrack and find all, you know, mm-hmm. almost all of the chests to get enough gems to be able to do it. Um, there's some levels that are an exception, but yeah, it definitely takes some exploration and you know, non-linearity. Yeah. Um, and that's weird too, I guess, to, to be able to bribe the guards, I guess, to get to the next part. It seems, um, I don't know, it's such a bizarre design choice i guess for a game. right so. no but I, th- I think the one the one flaw that i think this game really has and it's something that i never really thought of as a kid and it was 
it's more on like adult playthroughs, which I, I play through this game probably once or twice a year. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's still a favorite of mine, even though it has some issues. Sure. Um, but I think the biggest problem that it has is that it's just, it's too easy. And I, I don't mean that in like a, you know, bragging about it kind of way, but just because you've got three lives and then unlimited continues. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, when you have to, when you die or when you continue, there's almost no consequence. You continue, you keep all of your items, you keep all of your gems, you even respawn right where you died. Mm-hmm. The only thing that happens to you is your score resets, which, okay, if you're playing this as an arcade game and trying to get the high score, then that sucks. But if you're just mm-hmm. trying to get through the game, like you basically have unlimited lives. Yeah. And that really takes some of the punch out of it, especially when you get to some of the later stages and there are enemies that like the little uh, skulls that sit on the ground and shoot the projectiles at you. Mm. They're invincible. Like you can't kill them and cares because you can just walk right past them, walk right over them, jump on top of them. If they kill you, no big deal. You'll respawn on top of it and keep moving. So there's no consequence or threat to any of the enemies in the game. Mm. Um, the one exception would be, and this would be the only way that I would see that this game could have challenge, is when you die at a boss, when you you know come back, they also come back with full health. So if you mm-hmm. don't have the technique or um, the strategy to be able to beat the boss, then you're going to struggle. But otherwise, this game is, I mean, there's, it's like playing an arcade with unlimited quarters. Like you're going to get through it if you just have the patience to do it. And well, I think that say, takes yes. some of the significance out of it. But yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head though, is it, it does seem like it's born out of, um, you know, an arcade route, so to speak, in that um, it's just something that you can just sit down and just play through and, and enjoy. Um, right. Yeah, you can kind of credit feed it a little bit, but um, I think that, might just have been at, at the time i mean around 87 it might have been the the way it was designed i mean you know most of rare rares games did have high score tables and they had um you know sort of unlimited continues and things like that so um you could almost argue that they were sort of designing it as an arcade like game right I, I don't know yeah and it's it's just a weird thing because i don't know how many kids you know playing this in the late 80s were thinking arcade mentality like you know you you never went to school the next day and we're talking about your high score. You went to school and talked about, you know, whether you beat the boss or whether you beat the game like that, that was your goal. Sure. Um, And so, you know, scores just weren't kind of a thing in my head, you know, at that point, maybe, maybe there are other people that was the priority, but. um, Well, I think it's, it probably exists that way to, you know, to give yourself some, some challenge as well. Right. Yeah, it's so. I don't know. I would say that's the the only criticism that I have is that if if all you're trying to do is just a playthrough, uh, it's still a really fun playthrough, but it is the kind of thing where there's there's really no stress to it. Like you're you can sure. basically just walk through and never never even swing your sword if you don't want to until you get to a boss and you're gonna be fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, all right, it's still a solid. Uh, I think it's a solid game, and as far as like I could see, you know, from back in the day. Uh, this being a solid rental. Um, and I think, you know, part of that could also be the box art as well. Um, I want to just touch on that a little bit. I think we were kind of talking about it on Facebook as far as it being sort of like the uh, uh, Frank Franzetta style of uh, artwork. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting because it doesn't really, your main character doesn't really look like the guy on the box art at all. Not a, not even close. <laughs> yeah. 
But it's something that you know you would look at in 1987. You'd you'd pick this up and go, "Wow, this looks really cool." Uh, right. At least on the front of the box. So. Um, yeah, and I mean the the game artwork like that's the thing that's just lost today. Like it's just yeah not really a, as big of a thing. But yeah, you're exactly right. Like that cover would have sold this game, mm-hmm. and you know back in an era before you had tons and tons of online reviews or demos or whatever else you know you were limited to tv commercials that played you know during saturday morning cartoons um magazine ads if you happen to have you know electronic gaming monthly or nintendo power or something yeah um or otherwise box art's what's going to sell it you're standing there in electronic boutique or at the video rental store just Mm -hmm. looking at you know an ocean of cartridges which one are you going to get? You're going to get the one that looks cool. Uh-huh. Like, so. Oh yeah. Cause I mean, back in the day, your imagination played so much more into it. Yep. You know, well, it had to. Yeah. Box. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I went back and I was looking at other games that were released in 87 as well. And so you had, you know, things like Contra and Goonies two and stuff like that. And you really, that I think to me, that's the start of where the NES got really good uh, cover art. Because mm-hmm. uh, before that, of course, you look at like the the black box NES series, where um, you know it's just pixelated graphics of Mario or Balloon Fight or stuff like that. And then um, around about late '86 and '87 is when you really started to get uh, just these crazy covers and uh, just like super imaginative um, artistic representations of things that you know really made you. Uh, get into the game a little bit more, I guess, because you didn't really know what to expect. Right, right. Yeah, I was just trying to flip through here in my old uh, Nintendo book that kind of lists all the big releases. And yeah, I mean, at this point, we're, you know, end of 87, beginning of 88. I'm looking at some of the big titles that were out then. I mean, Super Mario Brothers 2, which that cover was significantly different than the original. Um, You know, Punch-Out was out, you know, Legend of Zelda. So... Yeah, they're mm-hmm. they're definitely coming along and moving from the the black box, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It just um, it it just got such a cool use of color to it, and you know the evil wizard in the background and the castle, and uh, there's just so much cool stuff going on um, on the cover. I just think it's really uh, memorable. Right. All right. Well, I know that you wanted to uh, talk about music at some point, so you want to do that before I run through some of the differences between Famicom sure. and NES. Yeah, um, like I was kind of saying in the beginning, you know, the the forest stage music kind of stuck with me um, as being like, you know, really memorable. And of course, the main theme. But, you know, at the time, I didn't really think too much of it because I knew that this game had a particular sound to it. And I knew that other rare games had a similar kind of sound. It wasn't until later that I realized that they were all composed by the same composer. So um, that was, you know, something that once I started playing like RC Pro-Am and um, Wizards and Warriors and stuff like that, I noticed that the music sounded kind of similar. And then, you know, later on, um, you know, you start to research some of these old games and think, you know, who did the music or, um, you know, who was responsible for it? And um, you find that David Wise was the composer. And he went on, I mean, he did most most of Rare's stuff at the time, Wizards and Warriors, RC Pro-Am, uh, Marble Madness, lots of really iconic um, theme songs and soundtracks to NES games. And that's one of the things I think that really 
sort of stood out to me was just how good the music was. Yeah, all of those games you just mentioned, like, yeah, they're really good, but they're also the ones that just get stuck in your head. So, uh-huh. like, Marble Madness, you play that for three seconds, and it's not going to leave for, you know, three days. But yeah, Battletoads, um, Dark oh, yeah. Country, obviously. Um, I mean, the, the dudes had uh, a, a fantastic career as far as composing uh, music. And in fact, I think I went back and I found a couple interviews he did I don't know, a couple of years ago or something. And I think it was something effective. He was cranking out um, a soundtrack like once every three weeks almost um, back Jeez. around this time frame, you know, because he was pretty much their their main composer. So, I mean, he's doing, um, you know, Snake, Rattle, and Roll and just all kinds of other games. Knocking them out. Uh, Wizards and Warriors 2. Um, what else? And Skyhawk, you know, um, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, I, I was never one that, paid much attention to the music um in terms of like who actually composed things so when you kind of brought this up last week and said oh i want to talk about david wise i'm like all right and you know Mm -hmm. i had to look it up and think but it's like that's a really cool addition to the show and i i I like that because it's you know kind of bringing a new angle of gaming to me that Mm -hmm. i had never thought of before like i love video game soundtracks and you know oh yeah call me an uber nerd if you want to but it's like that's what i listen to all day at work is you know playlists of old nes music so mm-hmm. it's it's something that i love and it's not just because of the nostalgia it's because i i i enjoy that anyway but you know when you get to a point where you can think of that as an art form and you think about it's like oh yeah somebody did compose this this isn't just random midi notes that are you know pumped out by a computer you know to go with a sure. game like yeah the this is legitimate music just like anything else is and it deserves mm-hmm. credit and you know the composers deserve acknowledgement as well so um, yeah when, when there when there are composers that do stand out i think we should absolutely acknowledge them yeah because it, it feels like to me at, at the time i mean you know there were some games that the music was just like you said just kind of midi or um you know you could tell when it was just kind of like it was just there and then there's you know soundtracks like wizards and warriors that really take advantage of a lot of the sound chip that the nes had and really brings about you know, uh, a, a really good melody and a, a um, you know, driving sort of sound to it. And, and that kind of psychs you up when you're playing it. But yeah. in, also, I think it, it's, there are times in the game where, especially in some of the later caves and especially like um, some of the boss areas, I mean, it, it gets kind of creepy uh, mm-hmm. music-wise, which is really yeah, cool. Yeah, d- down There's in the lava cave. The lava cave specifically stands out like is one that it's it's a very dark and ominous tone. Like mm-hmm. if if you're playing that for the first time, you know, especially I think as a kid, it would be even more effective. Like you just started this level, you've never done it before. That music starts. It's like oh shit! Like uh-huh. this you don't know what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and it really I think it adds something to the game itself. I mean, as far as um, really adding to that atmosphere. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Um, I'm glad you brought that up and pointed it out. And... Yeah. All right. Go through a couple of the differences between the uh, NES and the Famicom. Sure. Yeah. You said you uh, made a couple of notes on some of those. Yeah, I got a list of a few different points that I saw as I was playing through them. Yeah. Um, so it, for anybody who has has not played the Famicom, um, I would say that th- there's really not too much that's terribly different, uh, especially compared to talking about Castlevania II last week. Um, a lot fewer changes, although there are some that are significant enough, I would say I have a preference of one game versus the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first major difference was just the like names and story that was used. Uh, uh-huh. I don't I don't fully know why they changed it, but 
people who are familiar with the NES know that you know your main character is Kiros. You're in the uh, kingdom of Elrond, and you're going against the evil wizard Malkil. They changed the names in the Famicom uh, to where now the knight instead of instead of the land being called Elrond, the knight is Elrond. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in the land of Milad, and you're going against the evil wizard Black Annis. Um, not sure why they changed it, but for whatever reason they decided to. Yeah. Um, another next uh, difference that I saw kind of right off the bat is that in Wizards and Warriors for the NES, you have a life bar, and in Famicom, it's a hit point system, mm-hmm. uh, which actually I like the hit point system better because it didn't, it, I did not notice that there was a maximum, mm-hmm. um, or if there was, I didn't hit it, but it seemed like even when you're at air quotes full life, you can still pick up another drumstick and get even more health. Um, That's a good way so to look at it. It seemed like it opened it up and gave you a little bit more to play with rather than, you know, you respawn, you're at full health, you pick up meat. It's like, well, that was just a waste. Um, yeah. So, well, and I guess it makes sense too, because like there were points when I was playing, if I was down to uh, 150 health or 200 health, then depending on the enemy, you know, maybe I can take one more hit before, before I die. Uh, right. You know, in the the U.S. version, you might have one bar or two bars. So, um, mm-hmm. but it took me a little bit to adjust to where the hit point system was on the Famicom version because it's on the lower right hand side of the screen instead of the lower left. And yes, and for the it, for the bosses, so for the bosses, they still use the little dot system. So if you were right. looking at that, thinking like, "Why am I not going down?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the the next big difference, you know, going kind of chronologically through this game is in the first stage, the outside of the forest, there are no enemies in the Famicom version. Which is weird. Um, it is very weird. That's such an odd change. Um, it's almost like they want to slowly kind of sink you into the challenge. Like, instead of bombarding you with a lot, like, hey, we'll ease you in and you think this isn't so bad. And, okay, you get inside the trees, there's the, you know, big flies and the spiders, but... Mm-hmm. Then they just stop start bombarding you, you know, as you get going. But I, I don't know if that if that was their thought was just it's a kind of gradual step you into it or or what. But yeah, it's a very interesting mm-hmm. change. Um, well, it, it puts more emphasis, I guess, on the first level. It puts more emphasis on finding the gems to pay off the knight to get to the second level, as right. opposed to killing enemies and um, you know getting items and uh, you know like the bonus points and things like that. So it, it kind of changes the dynamic a little bit. It gives you a little bit more focus on exploring, uh, mm-hmm. getting your feet wet and learning like, okay, we're looking for keys. We're looking for doors, etc. Yeah. Um, but also I found that it took longer to get through that stage because you're not picking up the random gem from an enemy. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, the, the next big thing from that level, which I think this is the best change they could have made in the game is the potion of levitation is in the first stage. In the mm-hmm. Famicom, yeah, and you don't you don't find it until I believe the Ice Cave mm-hmm. in um, NES. But having that right off of the bat is huge. <laughs> yeah, and it makes it so much easier to get up to the top of the trees as well. Right, because yeah, so. the only other way to do that is you basically have to stand at the chest where the boots of force are, and yeah. if you're lucky enough to get a pink potion, great. Otherwise, you kind of jump off of the head of an enemy and mm-hmm. can get up there, but. Uh, yeah. Is it just me or did you notice um, when on the first level when you were up on the top of the trees, I could have sworn on the Famicom version that there's an extra layer of uh, background 
yep. up there, like a colorful. There's uh, clouds. Background. Yeah. Yep. There's clouds there, and then when you get to the uh, lava cave, the first, the first room of the lava cave, it's a completely different color palette. Yeah. But uh, yep, uh, it happens the same thing in the second forest. There's clouds above the trees, which mm-hmm. a small little touch, but it's like, oh, that's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else? Uh, oh yeah, the other big thing, and this is where I think the two differences or the two games really make a difference is the wand of wonder and the staff of power. Um, mm-hmm. In the NES version, you have to hit select to shoot one. In the Famicom version, they shoot automatically when you just attack with your sword. Yes. So if you have one of those two items and you have either the dagger or the axe, then every time you swing your sword, you're basically doing three attacks. And that's a completely a game changer. Um, yeah, I liked it a lot better. Actually. Oh, it's so much better. Um, because I never, I always forgot to press select to to fire. You know, my wand or you know whatever. So that's such an odd choice to to map a um, an attack to the select button. Yeah. Uh, and then let's see what else did I notice. Um, we get one life instead of three. You well. get one life instead of three. That's different, yeah. and maybe that balances out having the um, you know extra health. But um, mm-hmm. Uh, your projectile weapons, the dagger and the axe, um, in the Famicom version, like I guess when the in the NES version you throw it and you can't throw another one till it returns to you, boomerangs back to you. Mm-hmm. In Famicom, if one's already kind of out in you know orbit, hitting the attack button again will basically the make the one that's already out there disappear and a new one will kind of shoot. So you can you don't have to wait for it to come back before you can throw another one out there. Um, I was hoping that you would bring that up because I I noticed that and I didn't know if that was something that um, that I just forgot about in the other one or not. But um, especially falling through the uh, the second level and there's all the flies and um, bugs and stuff floating around. Mm-hmm. It was more fun to just kind of mash the B button and throw out a bunch of daggers just right in front of you. Yep. Um, you know, rather than throw one and having it loop around and back and forth and stuff like that. So Yeah, to some degree, it makes it a lot easier in the Famicom that way because uh-huh. you don't have to wait for it to come back. But I also noticed that like sometimes you get screwed because I hit the button too many times and I'd basically just be shooting them out really short range and they wouldn't actually go far enough to hit what I'm aiming at because I'm you know, too antsy. But, um, well, that makes sense. Yeah, there's, there's kind of a balancing act there. Uh, the last two little things I noticed is... Um, all related to the bosses. Uh, the first one is that there's two bosses in the Famicom version that actually, when you kill them, they do something different than they do in the mm-hmm. NES. One is the rock face. Like when you kill him, he actually explodes. Uh-huh. Um, and the first time I beat him, I wasn't expecting that. And it actually killed me. Um, yeah. So that's something to look forward to. And then the, the last boss, when you're fighting the wizard, um, it's interesting when you kill him, instead of just getting the blue key and being able to go straight to the door, mm-hmm. room that you're in starts caving in. And yeah. it doesn't stop. You have to just basically run through this avalanche as these boulders are falling, and they do a pretty decent amount of damage. So if, you were oh, low yeah. on, if you're low on health when you kill Black Annis, you're, uh, <laughs> you might not make it to the end. So That actually that happened to me the first time um, when I beat the Japanese version the other day. Is I, uh, I killed him. And then I think I had, I probably had 500 health or something like that. And just as I started moving uh, through the, towards the door, um, a rock fell. I mean, I think it did 500 points. It killed me instantly. <laughs> so I had to repeat the, the boss fight again, which was not a, like, five can, you, can you imagine if you were a kid 
beaten that for the first time and you're so excited and you can't wait to like tell everybody and then oh, yeah. you just get crushed to death and it's like oh it's not what it's the another kind of shit that would that you off right then but it would be <laughs> so legendary like you'd be talking about uh-huh. it like, you know just for hours on end afterwards it, it, oh. it's sadistic and uh, kind of unfair but it's also kind of funny oh it's hilarious yeah, yeah. i I loved that edition. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing that I noticed, and it's actually after I played, th- like I, I played the NES game version so many times. And as I'm playing through the Famicom, I'm going through and I was finally at the end of like the fourth or fifth stage. And I'm like, something feels different here. And I took note of it when I played through it again, but the bosses are in a different order. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, in the NES, it's the skull first, then the bat swarm, then the rock thing, the big ghost, the spider, the skeleton, and then the wizard mm-hmm. and the first two and the last one are the same and the spider is the same but it goes skull bats skeleton rock face spider ghost wizard so they flipped them around and it it really threw me because the the skeleton that like gets bigger as you kill him has always uh-huh. been the, the hardest boss for me and so as i'm yeah, playing the fighting four bosses really right right and when you're playing the Famicom version, it's like he shows up in, at the end of the lava cave. It's like, well, wait, I'm not ready for you yet. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, because you're not expecting that, you know, once you kill the little guy, you're not expecting it to to reform and fight it again and then have to do it like three more times. Right. But, uh, so, yeah, that, that's interesting that they switch the bosses around. It's um, kind of bizarre. I don't know what the reasoning was behind it, but um, I was going to bring up something, too, because um, we were talking a few weeks ago. Um, you were telling me about the uh, the way to kind of cheese the final boss, uh, mm-hmm. where you just kind of float and kind of stick your sword, you know, kind of up uh, where he's going to appear, and it'll stab him instantly. Which I found that to work on the NES version, but when I tried it on the Famicom one, I couldn't get it to work. In in the Famicom, I saw or I I noticed that the projectiles that he shoots go a lot farther. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, in the NES one, like you kind of have a little secret spot that you can stand in, and he really can't get to you. He can't come behind you, and there's like three spots right in front of you that he could show up, but you can get him at any one of them. Right. And yeah, stood. yeah, right, yeah. But I noticed that in the Japanese version that I kept getting hit by the projectile, but I wasn't doing damage to him. But yep. actually, I found it was easier because you just kind of you know stand in that spot, and you'd had three different places that you could actually hit him. Right. Uh, with you know projectiles and that's the other thing i think i liked about having the you know the wand shoot automatically as well because uh, it just kind of helps you beat the final boss a little bit easier and it gives you a, a better sense of satisfaction as far as powering up your character because you know you've gone through the whole game and you've acquired these power-ups and in the nes one yeah you have to press select to fire your um, projectiles and i always forgot about doing that so in this one you just feel like much more of a badass because you're you're throwing out all these projectiles at once and you're right uh, you know throwing the dagger or the axe and i don't know yeah definitely and i and i think for that reason like it definitely makes the game easier but at the same time like i just said like there's not really a ton of challenge to it to begin no, with so i think I for just the just sitting down and you know playing through it it's it's something that you can just play from start to finish and then you just put the controller down and you're like okay i'm i'm good Right. Um, so yeah, I think that comparing the two, I I do enjoy the Famicom a little bit more now because mm-hmm. kind of like we just said, you get more of that satisfaction of feeling like you've 
you've earned something, you've gained power as you've gone along. And yeah. for a game that's just an easy, fun, you know, run through anyway, mm. being able to, yeah, just, you know, have the staff of power and the acts of Agor and all of that at the end, it's like, okay, this is satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. So, so, yeah, I really liked it. Um, all right. Any, any other things you want to talk about? Differences between the two recommendations before we talk about some tips uh, and tricks? I, I kind of agree with you. I mean, I think I enjoyed the Famicom one a little bit more in retrospect. Um, you know, not to say I think the I think the American version is a little bit more challenging in in different parts, but uh, I think there it's an interesting example of slight differences between the two. It's not just the same game in two different regions, but um, you know, it's for people that are kind of into um, the history of retro games and. Uh, the differences between regions, I think it's definitely worth checking out both versions to see which one you prefer. But uh, I, I'm kind of with you in that I prefer the Famicom version now, I think. All right. Shall we get to tips and tricks? Yeah, absolutely. Tips and tricks. All right. So I've only got a few here this week. Um, like I said, this is a game that I I play a lot. And a lot of the tricks that I found, like, actually kind of did make a difference which version you're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first tip that I used a lot, and I remember even telling you about this about a week ago when you were saying you were playing through, is I use that potion of levitation constantly. Um, uh-huh. It's It not only makes it easier to jump everywhere you're going if you levitate and then jump from there, but just fighting enemies, it's just better to levitate and let things kind of run into you. Huh. Um, especially considering if you have the shield of protection, um, every time you swing your sword or throw your axe, throw your dagger, it moves the shield out of the way. So projectiles could still hit you. When you're levitating, the shield's still in place. Oh yeah. So, so you can levitate up, start throwing your dagger, start throwing your axe. Your sword won't move, but it doesn't matter. You're still shooting your projectile, but your shield is in front of you. You're much more protected and mm-hmm. able to do a lot more damage. Um, when it comes to pretty much every one of the bosses, there's no better way to win than just to stand on one edge, levitate up, and just start shooting, and it just wipes them out. Um, okay. The um, fighting the bat swarm boss, I mean, that makes it so easy because you just essentially run to the far end, turn around, let them all just run into you, huh. and then kill the big one. Um, I'm going to so, have to try yeah. that now. I haven't even thought of that. You, you, I think you have to skewer like the first four, which are the super tiny ones, uh-huh. Um, and then I kill like maybe one or two of the the medium sized ones so that there's enough for them to come. Then mm-hmm. yeah, run to run to the far end. They'll all just come at you. Turn around, levitate up, let them run into your shield, and they just die. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, so yeah, that works really well. Uh, second tip, I think this is pretty self explanatory or obvious to people, but in case you didn't know, the boots of force let you open treasure chests you don't have a key for. Yeah, yeah. So. I find it to be one of the most useful items in the game because, I mean, if you, in the first forest, uh, there's a couple chests you don't have a red key for, so this actually lets you get into those, like, and that's the only way to get the shield of protection. But it's just so nice to be able to go through the level at your own pace rather than, oh, I've got to go get the key and now, now backtrack to go find those chests that I could open. If you have the boots of force, you can just kind of open everything as you go. Um, Unless you're like me and you open, you know, a treasure chest and it gives you a different item. Yep, um, you got to watch out for that. <laughs> yeah, where it's like, oh, son of a bitch. Like, I got the cloak, which is the most useless thing in the game. Um, and actually, I was going to get to that, too, because I think that 
so you've got 10 different items in the game mm-hmm. and four of them are permanent and once you have them you'll keep them for the whole game the other six are kind of interchangeable and mm-hmm. one replaces the other and the the item that you keep for that interchangeable one depends on whether you're playing the famicom or the nes mm-hmm. um in the nes version i say you should skip the wand of wonder and the staff of power completely because like we said you have to hit select to use it yeah that it's cumbersome to do it. You'll never remember to do it. It's not worth it. Um, stick with either the Boots of Force or the Cloak of Darkness. Boots of Force because they're going to get you into all the chests. Mm. Cloak of Darkness um, does not do what the instruction manual says, which they say it makes you invisible and things won't chase you. That's right. not true. They'll come right for you. But it, it does double your... And the fact that you can't see where your character is. No, but... Well, I mean, if you watch the little sparkles, you can still see where you are. But what it does is it doubles your defense. Really? So you're gonna take you take half damage from every attack. I had um, no idea about that. So it makes killing the bosses much easier. And if you're trying to go for the high score, you're gonna live twice as long if you have that cloak active. Wow. Um, so for the NES version, yes, one of those two, depending on whether you're going for utility or defense. Uh, in the Famicom version, there's no question. Get the staff of power. Don't ever open another chest because you don't want to lose it. Yeah. Having having that thing and also your axe when you're attacking is a game changer. So, mm-hmm. um, and then yeah, the only other tip I had we actually already talked about, which is to get the shield of protection, which is a crucial item. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to have the boots of force to open that chest, and while standing on the platform where you found the boots, um, jump up and hit an enemy and basically bounce off their head to get to the top of the tree line, run all the way over to the right, and you can open that chest. In the Famicom version, you don't need to jump on the enemy. A, there are no enemies, but also you have the potion of levitation in the first stage. So, yeah. But yeah, that's uh, it's kind of fun to play through the game a couple of different times and tweak, you know, what item you're going to carry most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it really sucks when you grab the wrong thing and you realize, like, oh, you know, the one item I always wanted, like now I just lost it and uh-huh. I can't get it again. Um, there's a couple items that you can avoid completely, like the boots of lava walk are almost completely useless yeah um, there's there's no point to really even having them unless you're just not good at jumping on the bubbles and right get caught up in the flame column well and as a kid i thought like you could um walk on the lava and you wouldn't take damage no you still take damage whether yeah. you have the boots or not all it lets you do is stand on those little flame pillars which they don't there's no need so yeah yeah don't don't bother getting those boots it's a waste of time right uh the horn like i said is pretty pointless mm. um but uh yeah and also keep an eye out for the fact that uh all of the items like i said you could find them usually in one or two different stages but there are no items to be found after the second forest so once you're actually to castle iron spire there's there's no more items every chest from that point forward is gems mm-hmm. so yeah i thought that was interesting when i was playing through it um you know because at that point then yeah you're getting gems left and right and i had uh i think i had the wand at that point so it wasn't really a big deal but uh um, it is kind of interesting then that you just stop getting treasure chests yep. which i guess it makes sense but uh yeah. it's different yeah and i i like the different dynamic of the different there's three different stages of the castle the mm-hmm. ex- exterior then the interior and then the dungeon and all three have a very very different goal which i think is fun like yeah. well, the and first, huge. Yes, yeah, huge, huge levels. I mean, uh, the castle is incredibly tall. 
and then um, the inside levels are very maze-like. I mean, they, you just kind of go all over the place. So uh, that final, yeah. So that like the the, the exterior, the, the challenge is just making all those jumps without falling. Um, mm. This is where you don't have to have the feather and the um, potion, but man, it makes that so much easier. Yeah, it um, did help. I noticed. And then the second stage, which is the first interior, is just this giant uh, labyrinth inside. And there's so many gems. I think you need 200 to bribe the guard. Mm-hmm. There's easily 300 that you'll find even without killing enemies. So yeah. you have no no problem finding enough. But uh, it's just finding your way around. And then, yeah, the last dungeon, I always find this level frustrating because you only need 100 to get past the guard. But there's maybe 30 or 40. Mm-hmm. That you that you'll find without killing enemies, so you have to just stand there and just kill these, you know, little demons and skeletons that are coming at you for you know, sometimes a half an hour to get enough gems to get through. Yep. Uh, That's the only part that kind of bugs me a little bit is just uh, those couple of points where you you're not really sure how to proceed. You just have to keep killing things until you get the gems. Yep, or the potions and whichever. Yeah, I, I was always convinced that there was some little hidden gem cache somewhere in that last level. And yeah, there, there, and there's no secret rooms or anything. No secret rooms. There's one, I think maybe two spots where if you like keep jumping, you hit you know the little gem pocket. Mm-hmm. You know, so that gets you like you know seven or eight, but yeah. nothing significant. But no. uh, nope, the whole point of that stage is just to you have to keep fighting monsters until you finally get enough gems. Yeah. So what do you think then overall? Do you think that uh, Wizards and Warriors holds up I'm upon playing it now versus years ago, or do you think it's something that um, is just more nostalgia? Oh, no, it definitely holds up. Um, like I said, the, the the only difference that I had from going from a kid from to an adult is that I'm now aware of kind of the, the flaws, which that being, you know, just that it is very easy if all you're trying to do is complete it. There's it, it takes patience and nothing more. Yeah. Um, but that that aside, like I said, this is still one that I'll pull out and play through at least twice a year, if not more. Yeah. Um, I obviously it was for you know preparation of the show, but I played through it four times this week mm-hmm. and loved it every time. Um, this is always going to be a favorite of mine, even though it is super easy. I I like games that are like that. That you know you can just say, hey, I've got forty five minutes to kill. Well, mm-hmm. I know that in that 45 minutes, I can play through an entire game. And this is a perfect game for that kind of uh, sitting. So, um, and, and, and the other thing, too, is I think that it's the kind of game where I don't want to turn off any of our listeners who have never played this before. It, it, it is not an easy game if you're, if you're new to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know many people who consider this to be one of the most frustratingly difficult games they've ever played because it, it takes... I don't know how to phrase this right, but it's like once you figure it out, then mm. it's it's easy. Until yeah. then, it's frustratingly difficult to get the hang of the game. So it still provides that new challenge to a new player. And so I th- I think it really holds up and really works. Yes. Yeah, I do too. And um, you know, like I said, with this was the first time that I actually finished the game since it came out. And I think that um it really does hold up because um it is difficult, but at the same time, um uh, there's there's a certain mastery that you get by uh, really getting good at the game, and there's a satisfaction that you get from uh, finally finishing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it lends itself to you know finding ways to challenge yourself too. Like obviously, you can try to keep getting the high score um, or beating your score. 
um, doing different playthroughs with, you know, this time I'm not going to get any weapon or stick to the dagger and not get the feather. Like just there, there's lots of different ways to tweak the game and still, you know, have fun with it and make it challenging or rewarding uh, no matter how many times you played it. So, yeah, yeah I agree. I, I think it's definitely worth a look if, especially if you're, you know, a fan of platformers or if you're, um, you know, just a, a fan of, of challenging games, I think it's a game that you can constantly come back to, uh, make a little bit of progress here and there, learn the mechanics of it. And then once you get really good at it, uh, there's a satisfaction of being able to just run through it, you know, within 45 minutes to an hour, like you said. Yep. Agreed. So any last minute things you want to talk about it before we give out our show information and wrap this one up? Uh, nothing I can really think of off the top of my head. Um, I know, uh, and we'll probably be talking about it in the next week or so, but uh, you know, we've got a, a pretty big game plan for the third episode. so. Uh, that's all we're going to really say for now, but uh, definitely stay tuned for that. Yeah, stay posted to Facebook and Twitter. Probably about a week from now, you'll get the announcement. We uh-huh. we like enticing, you know, not not giving too much information too soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I just like having fun with it, you know, just kind of, um, you know, like we kind of posted the the zoomed in screenshot of the box art. It's like, you know, can you guess what, what this is? And uh, I just like doing stuff like that just to kind of engage in the, um, you know, the guessing game as to what it is. So, yeah, I, I want you to keep doing that. Cause I think that's awesome. Um, awesome. Yeah. and yeah, I hope people are enjoying all the nostalgia bits that I post, you know, on the week leading up because I'm full of all those random little facts. <laughs> right. Well, I think it's really interesting too, because obviously, um, this was a good episode to really, uh, this is a good game to choose because, um, obviously, you know, you've played through this game quite a bit and I've learned quite a bit of things that I didn't even know about this game so now i'm excited to go back and uh play it a little bit more and you know kind of use the uh the levitation tricks and and some of those things to kind of really um see what else i can do with the game yep all right well i'm gonna make you give out all of our show information because uh well i never remember it so okay well uh of course you can find us on twitter uh the graveyard duck podcast uh that's at duck graveyard uh because it sounds really morbid We have a uh, Facebook page, uh, the Graveyard Duck Podcast. Uh, we got some good conversations going on there. Um, lots of interesting stuff being posted uh, throughout the day. Um, so, you know, please, by all means, check us out. Uh, you know, shoot us an email, graveyardduckpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to hear any stories that you guys have of, you know, your memories of, of Wizards and Warriors or, you know, any of those games that we talk about. Um, that's one of the reasons why I like doing the show is, I like hearing everyone's stories about how you came about, you know, playing this game, your memories of it, um, things of that nature. So by all means, uh, please, if you like the show, um, you know, leave us a review, uh, share with us some of your thoughts and your memories. And, uh, you know, we hope you enjoy it. Yeah. And you can, uh, we have our uh, website up finally now. Um, so I believe that that is at just graveyardduck.com. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go there, you can actually find all of that information. If you ever forget it, there's links to all of it, links to our iTunes, which finally got up and running. So mm-hmm. you can go there and subscribe, leave reviews, get old episodes, whatever. Sure. Um, and yeah, that's all part of the Geek Nerdery um, media group, I guess would be the best way to call that, which, sure. um, yeah, we're part of that. There's several other podcasts that are on there too, um, other blogs. So if you know, you're more than just a video game nerd. There's ways to get all of your good nerding out over there. So go check it out. Do a good job. Yeah, definitely. 
So uh, stay tuned. Like I said, uh, episode three is going to be a big one. And uh, I think it's one that a lot of people are going to be looking forward to. And I think, uh, you know, we're really going to enjoy talking about it. So uh, stay tuned. We'll probably announce that next week. Yep. And uh, the goal is to kind of have an episode every two weeks, uh, just about. So um, this will go up, uh, well, I think, what, probably tomorrow. Yeah, I think I'm going to be able to get the episodes up every Friday. So okay. that, yeah. that should work. And then every other Friday. And uh, in the meantime, we'll try to have um, some good conversations going on on Twitter and on Facebook um, leading up to the next episode as well. So feel free to chime in and, uh, you know, give us your thoughts. And, you know, again, like I said, if you if you like us, uh, please leave us a review. We definitely appreciate it. Yep, definitely. So I would say uh, until next week, I'm Scott. And I'm Wes. And don't forget to hold reset while you turn off the power. Game over.